and welcome to the Red Friday Organizations podcast. Red Friday is an organization that supports veterans and serving first responders, serving and non-serving members actually of both communities and the public and business and anyone else who has an interest in supporting their brethren or their fellow man, as it were, and their mental health. We do a lot with Red Friday. And one of the keystones of our organization is that we understand there's a recruitment and retention problem in the volunteer fire uh, departments across North America. You may or may not be aware, but about 30% um, of volunteers are no longer. So we've seen a drop of 30% roughly between 2016 and 2021. Those are really disturbing statistics. Now, one of the things that we think that really, really helps is a positive work environment. We do this through peer support, and we build and maintain peer support teams and teach the leadership necessary to create and propagate. So really what we're about is recruitment and retention and safety. So I'm an Army guy. I had the pleasure of serving in the Canadian military. I'm a business guy, and I've also got a few patents issued, so I've been very fortunate, and this is my give back. Um, my name is Bob McTaggart, and I'm with Red Friday. I'd like to introduce you to Dave Connor. Dave Connor is the Director of Programming here at the Red Friday organization, and Dave speaks about Dave better than I do. So, Dave, would you please say a few words about yourself? Well, hello. Thanks, Bob. My name is Dave Connor. I'm a retired command chief from what we call a metro department. That's a, a big city department of over 250,000. I served for 35 years, spending my last 12 years as a command chief. I uh, received a operational stress injury very early in my career that was misdiagnosed. And uh, having no services or support at the time, I built a peer support team. And that team is still running happily to this day. I'm, I'm kind of pleased to, to know that that's a, a true thing. So my two areas of expertise are uh, leadership of uh, people in emergency scenes and uh, the peer support structure and development. So uh, it's an honor to be with you today. Well, thank you. Um, we all uh, appreciate the effort you make and we all appreciate the contribution you make to the organization, sir. So it's all good. Um, I should also mention about myself that I do have a diagnosed uh, stress injury as well. And I would credit Red Friday with probably saving my life. It's really that simple for me. So I've been very fortunate to know some really wonderful people here. And it's time for us to try to help others as best we can. So let's talk about an internal, an internal peer support team, Dave. Um, you know, a lot of people, they'll, they'll look at it if they're in business or they might be in the public safety sector, uh, particularly a fire department, as an example, a volunteer fire department in a, in a rural area. Um, how would you, and I'm going to ask you a, a twofold question here. Um, how would you set up an internal peer support team? And what are the first benefits that the fire department, and this, of course, could be a business or you know, any other uh, public safety sector uh, department, uh, what would be the first uh, benefits that the department would see from that peer support team? Okay, that's a that's a good uh, two-parter there, Bob. Um, realistically, it's 
best to consult with the organizations that might provide you some training and some structure because it's really, I find, significantly effective that we as people who spent our lives in in the broader public safety sector understand that world. So um, I think what we do could translate into the corporate world, but I don't wouldn't think uh, a corporate-based peer system is going to be that effective in uh, in the public safety sector. That's just my my personal bias. So I think it's good to to talk to the people you're thinking about doing the training with before you start you know posting a job. And when you do that, you should have uh, an idea of what your your team's going to do, what the parameters of service are, what a job description inside of that would look like for a peer supporter. So people don't just blindly put up their hand and say that they want to help. And uh, those those same people need to have an idea of what the uh, commitment really is and what the expectation is. And, and uh, you know, the, the biggest thing is their ability to keep things private. We find that's that's one of the big issues. And um, as we're, we're doing this, we kind of need to to do some screening of, of the people who apply because we very much find, and you know, the example I gave you in my introduction is, is a pretty common one. We often find we, we, we draw the injured trying to heal the sick or the sick trying to heal the injured because they're very early in their own recovery. So we try to have people who are are uh, resilient and have a relationship with trauma that's healthy and positive. Um, that's that's sometimes a, a, an issue that we we bump up against. The uh, in terms of um, the benefits, you know, it's funny. It, it's one of those things that's very difficult to to quantify because one of the things that we find is once you introduce an enhanced level of, of wellness or increased awareness of mental health issues, sometimes you will see an increase in sick leave use. Sometimes you will see a substantial spike in benefits use. So looking at it from the other side or through the other end of the telescope, that might look like you've introduced a new concept into the workplace and now suddenly everybody's sick. But what it really suggests is, is that the people in the workplace have now had their workplace destigmatized to the point where it's safe to talk about things. They've also recognized that there are now benefits that that uh, are available to them. And um, they're being a little bit more caring about their own, their own health. So you have less of what we call presenteeism, where people are at work sick. Those people are finally getting some care. So um, it, it's funny. It, it might look on the outside like we've introduced a new program and more people are sick. But what it really is, is we introduce a new program and more people are seeking the personal care that's necessary. So that you would almost think that's like detoxifying the department. Is that a way to it phrase is. it? It is. A very good way of it. You know, the the uh, when we talk about anti-stigma programs, you know, a lot of times it's the echo of bullying in the workplace where people didn't feel safe to step up or they were uh, put apart from others or, or, or looked over or stepped aside. And uh, anytime we isolate in a group situation, we kind of have to look at that as, as a, a stigmatizing conduct. And it's absolutely toxic. Yeah, these are great first steps uh, in forming a team. And you, you spoke really eloquently to what to expect uh, on first blush. And you also mentioned that you really do need to screen people and that you should set their expectations, if I recall. Um, this is good, solid stuff. So, Dave, who are the best people for a 
an internal peer support team? And really, what, what should they expect when they join the peer support team? A uh, good question again. Um, in in ancient times, when we started in the 80s with this kind of work, um, the people who were naturally drawn to it or, or, or chosen typically were, were traumatized folk who um, had received an OSI or had struggled with some some events in their lives that had uh, sort of, in, in a way, qualified them in the worst possible uh, way. And, and we've come to recognize that um, what doing that does is it brings people into the caring role who are, may still be very ill themselves. And uh, we really can't have ill people trying to heal injured people. So we need to ensure that those people get uh we don't screen them out and say no to them. We we have little conversations with them when we're doing the intake stuff, just to see if they're ready. And and if they're they're not ready, we just ask them to keep working on their own wellness journey and come back the next time we post uh, opportunities for them. We have to look at this kind of thing as as say a wound or wound care. You can have an open wound on your forearm that's gushing blood, and then you can have sutures put in and a bandage put over it, and then six months or a year later you got a scar there. You really need to be in the scar phase to be able to help people. You can't still be in a position where if somebody rips off your bandage, you're you're bleeding again. And people can be easily re-traumatized if they come from a trauma background in, in this kind of an environment. So who we're looking for are really the people who are most trusted organizationally or institutionally. That's not the, that's the people who don't gossip. That's the people who you know have your best um the best in mind for you going forward those the people that and i i've many times had conversations about bringing people into a team and i ask a few quiet little questions and and ask people say you know if, if your car broke down in front of that guy's house would you go bang in his door if the answer is no that suggests that that perhaps that person is trying to join the team for less pure reasons than we we might we might think so the combination of trustworthiness but then the other piece that's really important is um, we need to ensure that people are willing to work on their on their listening skills. And that's the part of communication that most of us are weakest at. Communication is 50% understanding and 50% being understood. Most of us put all our energy into being understood and not into understanding. So part of what we do in our, in our peer support training is work heavily on active listening and, and questioning techniques to make people better at it. But you have to be open to building out your skills that way it's it's absolutely critical and be able to you know keep a secret that's that's what we're looking for the caring soul that can keep a secret that that listens better than they speak that's that's critical and that's that piece the uh, uh second half of your question being what does the job look like most of the time peer support teams are developed because of a crisis in the workplace some event has occurred that has caused all kinds of uh, drama and trauma. Uh, that could be in a, in a fire department, that can be a VSA of a child or something that, that just shocks everybody or a crib death, the kind of thing that I wouldn't want anybody to have to go to those. I've been to a few. Um, the, the shocking event, or perhaps, you know, in a regular workplace, in a bank, perhaps somebody, uh, a teller gets held up in a bank or something like that. That's a critical incident. That's gonna mess everybody up. So. The, the impetus, the drawing force for peer support teams has historically been that some event has occurred 
and we need a critical incident response to that. So that's part of what peer support folk do is they do the trauma response stuff in part of a CISM team, critical incident stress management team. There are multiple models on how to do CISM. We, we look at several of them in our, in our training. Um, and then the issue that we found in, over time with that is that if that's all you're gonna do, is activate a handful of people for for critical incidents you could go six months or a year without them being called in in the private sector you could go 10 years without them being called so those people cannot kind of rather than burn out they kind of rust out so the important real work that that we see in peer support it's for rather than the the acute stress or trauma it's the the chronic the day-to-day -day grind stuff, the failing marriages, the substance issues, the per, the performance issues, the get along with other stuff. Um, that's the stuff that we kind of affectionately refer to as social work. And that honestly is where the real money is in peer support because that's where the most help can be given and, and people can function at a higher level and you know uh, come to work in 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 better shape because they're look, learning to look after themselves so that the the acute we do for cism the chronic for the long term uh, you know social work kind of stuff and what we find is that the more trusted people are the more people come to them with the social work kind of stuff I have to be a little careful sometimes because people can totally overshare but um, we, we ensure in our training that, that uh, people are overshared with as little as possible while we're trying to help. That's uh, some great information. Um, now, when people are a little more mature and they've had some time uh, dealing with other folks, that brings me around to the alumni. Um, the military has non-serving members who still consider themselves members, even though they've been out of uniform for could be 30 years. Um, I know that the fire, uh, police and ambulance, sorry, paramedic, my mistake, showing my age here, um, they have a similar mindset. Matter of fact, everybody does. Anyone who's been in a paramilitary organization, that uniform is part of your identity. There's no question about that. Um, is there a role for the non-serving alumni to play in a, in a peer support scenario? Well, um it's interesting. I'm going to insert the first half of the question there for you, which is who's on the team and not just the most trusted, but which demographic do we have to represent? So in a, in a military or paramilitary organization, you need representation from each rank. If you like, if you were in the public sector, sorry, the private sector, you'd have to have a management group. You'd have to have you know, peer folk for management people to go to, and you'd have to have peer folk for senior management to go to. In in the section we're talking about, you've got, you know, enlisted people or, or first-class firefighters on trucks, and then you've got the rank piece, and then you have to think about the gender piece. And uh, that's the nature of a peer. A peer is a someone who has, there there is an absolute power balance between the people, the person getting help and the person providing help so you can't have you know a colonel as the peer support person for a private because the power imbalance is just too great same thing in in the fire service so you need to think about the gender issues between uh you know you have to have for example you need peers for married female members of your organization you should have peers for unmarried female members of your organization you should have peers for people with children you should have peers for people without children you should have peers for people at the end of their career 
and peers for people at the beginning of their career. So to answer the, the question about the alumni piece, um, I think one of the great resources that we lose is uh, people retire from an organization and oftentimes need some support, you know, and it's not sometimes the retirement is uh, not their choice. Uh, people age out in, in the military and they age out in fire now, at least in the career jobs, and some of them are ready to retire. That's a real that can create a real problem for them. It would be very helpful for them to have some peer support with people who have been down that road and know what that's about. So I, I think we're not doing anywhere near enough to, to exploit, frankly, that, that group of people that could be very helpful. The other piece that I, I, I want to go back to in terms of who's on your team is uh, we're at Red Friday big believers in training spouses because spouses and partners are the first ones to notice changes in, in the responder or or the the soldier or the the military person it's their partners that notice before their coworkers in the volunteer fire service people can go months without their coworkers knowing anything's up with them because they're only seeing each other at incidents they're only seeing each other at training nights and calls so they can hide a lot but their partners notice so that's part of a peer team's role is to bring families in at the beginning of careers and throughout and make sure that the partners know what resources are available but we strongly suggest that peer support groups have some spouses in it that can do some some work for families when things go completely sideways. That's one of the things that retired folk can do. The alumni group that you just mentioned, that's a great role for them. We often think that, oh, yeah, something terrible happens. We can look after families. Invariably, peer support resources are used up instantly, and there's very little that can be done for families or anywhere else in the community. So that's mathematics support that. So. Cool. That, that is really neat. I think, you know, the, the thing about aging out is kind of interesting because um, uh, I retired on the day of my choosing after cha training the guy who was going to take my job for the next, for the previous five years. I was as ready as I was going to get, and I decided on the date, and that was the date, and it was a couple of years before I would have had to retire, and I still struggled with it because it was a big change. It's You know, it's a bell you can't unring. And uh, for, for a lot of people, especially, this is particularly true, if you uh, chose to take your career as far as it would take you and retire in a position of some responsibility or authority, if you want to call it that, that can become a huge part of your identity. And having that simply go away, the next, you know, wake up tomorrow and that thing's gone away, that can be really difficult for some folks and, and cause a lot of problems and also it tends to cause those problems in isolation. When it happens, you're alone. There's no support system because you're a retired person, you know. And if you're, you know, if you're a, a a fire chief in a small town and you let make a little mistake and they give you the banker's box, there's nobody to help that guy. He's alone. Understood. Yeah. Uh, the peer support team is designed by its very nature to improve the, uh, how shall we put it, the culture within the organization. Now, obviously, a volunteer fire department, which is our main goal to try to help for the next for the foreseeable future, uh, can create a really positive environment within the department. And of course, positive social interaction is something that COVID knocked out of everybody. And that's been one of the uh, one of the things we hear over and over in the press and and we experience firsthand by seeing people suffering through it is that 
they were detached. So from another point of view, um, can a peer support team act as a recruiting incentive for a volunteer department? Do, do you see that as a positive thing? Wow, that's a really good question. I, I really like that one. Um, a couple, couple of things to think about is there's lots of ways to volunteer in your community. You know, you can work at the food bank or the, you know, maybe at, at the uh, dog rescue shelter or stuff like that and still get some strong sense of community from that. The, the only place you, you would volunteer where you're exposed to trauma and possibly death or injury of your own self and your coworkers is the volunteer fire department. So it's very important, I think, from the from the outset that the the people engaged at all levels realize what they're really asking of people. You know, say, hey, you know, you can have a pancake breakfast and say, hey, come on out and join our fire department. But, you know, people need to recognize and be aware that um, the the possibility for injury is real. So something the department needs to do is get in front of that by having a fully functioning, trusted and and in times revered peer support program so that the peer team is there to talk to recruits on recruitment. They know on the way in that the employer takes this seriously and has taken the steps they need to take to do what they can to try to ensure a psychologically safe workplace. It's a legal obligation to take every precaution reasonable in the circumstances for the protection of a worker. That includes the psychological piece. So I think as far as a recruiting piece, uh, I think not only should the peer support people be involved in recruiting from the very beginning, but it should be trotted out as as one of the great benefits of the organization. It means it it shows that the employer cares and is doing the right stuff. Well, then wouldn't that also, if they're doing the they let's say just for sake of argument, a chief in a rural community, um, or deputy in a rural community is running a very effective peer support team. And they become well-known within the community as being um, a psychologically safe and let's just say joyful, happy place, uh, a place you want to be, a place people are attracted to, perhaps is a better way of phrasing it. Um, that, I think, would probably reflect really well on the town's image. And then the department takes on, uh, well, I would almost think that there's an economic value beyond fire protection, if you will, uh, to the department's role in its image. How, how do you, you've worn the, the boots and the, and the helmet uh, for that one. I haven't. So how do you see that? How do you, how do you feel about that? I certainly, um, I do see a, a distinction or a divide between the career and, and volley departments. Um, the voluntary departments typically are uh, much stronger in the in the central core of the community to begin with. Um, you know, we we uh, I'm going to get sidetracked for a little bit, but but people like the name of their town on the doors of their fire trucks, and people in volunteer departments like to be part of of the fire department from their town or their community. They'll go as far as township, but they don't like being county stuff because county stuff is too too broad and it includes people they don't even know. So it's very much a tribal thing and it's very much a social interactive thing. There's lots of family activity in the in the volley uh, jobs as well. 
there's an expectation in career jobs that these services will be in place and and properly looked after. Um, it's not going to be a deputy who runs it, but it's it's something that career departments expect that you're going to have a peer support system, you're going to have a crisis response plan, you're going to have an internal support system. In a volunteer world, I don't know if the expectations there. I don't know if if they even are fully cognizant of. The opportunities that are that are there for them, but I certainly follow your thinking that a community that can say our firefighters protect you, and we protect our firefighters. I think that's that's a note they should strike in terms of of value added sense of of community. One of my fondest memories is a pancake breakfast with my grandfather many years ago at the Monmouth Township Fire Department. That has long since evolved away through amalgamation and whatnot. I think it's Halliburton East now here in Ontario. But I remember looking at the fire trucks and my grandfather went on about the virtues of public service. And honestly, that was the day I decided that I was going to join the military. Well, considering my grandfather was a doctor in the two field ambulance in the Second World War. So, you know, I had a certain exposure to that already, but... I, I think I'm, I'm glad to hear that you have the same opinion that a volunteer fire department can be the uh, poster child, if you will, or the billboard for a town or a municipality if it's done correctly. That's again, that's another resource that I think could be much better, much better facilitated throughout the organizations. You see um, today that the fire departments or the volunteer fire departments specifically are down by roughly 30% in their recruitment. The military, uh, as we know, is going through the same situation. Um, do you see how this all ties together with peer support and mental wellness? Do you, do you see synergy? Yeah, well, I, I see it's kind of the wrong side of kind of synergy, but yeah, and that's, and that's uh, I appreciate a chance to, to weigh in on that. The studies are showing that one of the reasons that military enlistment is down, and and apparently in America to the lowest level since the Vietnam War when they were conscripting, for heaven's sakes, um, is that young people are concerned that they could contract an operational stress injury from that kind of work, from that kind of exposure. They're concerned that they could get injured psychologically from service, and they're equally concerned about how they're going to be treated afterwards when they're injured. And I, I see a parallel of that in the volunteer fire service. There's, there's over 20,000 volunteer firefighters in Ontario. Um, they respond to almost all of the same sort of stuff that, that big city guys do. And they experience amplified levels of trauma because oftentimes they run calls where they know people. And that that ramps the whole thing up. And when, when you run calls where you know people, it it just uh, makes it a whole lot harder. I did a, a training program for a volunteer department about ten years ago. There was an old veteran volley there who had, who had extricated both of his children from motor vehicle collisions. That's pretty serious stuff, and that's not not to be taken lightly. So I believe that the fire department wants to put right out in front that we have a system here to help you. We have a system here to guide you in terms of your own wellness, and we will treat you properly if you get injured here. I think that's kind of a critical thing. I think military has to come to terms with that in a, in a more effective way, but 
on a local township, you know, name of your department on the door of the red truckway. I think it's something they should get in front of. Well, also, do you think that the, and from my experience, I would think this is more of a factual statement than a question, but I'd like your input on it if you wouldn't mind. Um, I think from my experience that a peer support team can target harden an individual to be able to go through more stress and be able to deal with it more effectively so that they are not as susceptible to an OSI or an, oper uh, an operational stress injury. Um, what do you think? Is that a factual statement or? Well, it's, whether it's a factual statement or not, it's one of our core beliefs. <laughs> we actually believe in peer support that by inoculating new members of what they should be expecting. When I got on the fire department, they didn't tell us any of the stuff that we were going to go to see and do. There was none of it. There was no behavioral health stuff at all. We had to figure it out as we went. There was no radios inside of burning buildings either in those days. But um, the the idea that you can be inoculated against what you're, what's going to happen and have your, your partner there at the beginning, which the peer team should do at the beginning when you're starting your career, and to have uh, SISM responses to calls and normalize the, the experience that you're having. Um, I think absolutely that's that's one of the things that we find can can reduce the uh, severity and frequency of, of OSIs. They're still gonna happen, but we like to think that uh, we can reduce the, the intensity of it. We can certainly make it something that the person doesn't have to experience by themselves. The biggest thing that I found in, I, I ran a, I co-facilitated a support group for many years with my dear friend Gary is we tend to personalize stuff in, in this business. That's not our fault. We take other people's stories and make them the, our own. The calls that you run in, in a fire department are accidents of time and space time because you're at work and space because it happened inside of your patch. And those things would have happened whether you're at work or not. The more we hammer that home into into the young minds, the more they're able to be resilient against the next call that's going to come in. So that's a belief of mine. Uh, it's very hard, as I as I mentioned before, about you know proving the negative. Are are, are you creating a, a healthier workplace when people sick leave goes up? Actually, yeah. You know, are, it's it's sort of the, the same thing here. I I believe that uh, a, a psychologically safe workplace, which is part of what we're building out here is going to build in the organizational and personal resilience that helps people be able to continue to do a career. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Well, this is uh, this has been quite uh, insightful and and really do appreciate you sharing this. I think this this is going to be helpful for a lot of people to be able to hear this core information because it's not often that you actually get the inside track on a peer team and how they function and and some of what the expectations are now of course this is more uh this is something that we flush out uh, quite well in our training but for a first blush for someone who is new to the peer support role or maybe someone who hasn't seen the full landscape this has really been very quite good so thank you really oh, appreciate you making time for this entirely my pleasure thanks for thanks for asking me those good questions i hope it helps somebody our guest today was Dave Connor, the training director at the Red Friday organization and the main instructor at the Red Friday Academy. 
Uh, next episode, we're going to be exploring the ways in which a fire department can re-image itself in a rural community, uh, specifically volunteer services, and how they can increase uh, recruiting and retention. Again, part of the uh, the answer we see is um, not only social outreach, but also having a strong peer support team presence. Future episodes will also include interviews with uh, people regarding uh, their narcissistic experiences, uh, command structure, uh, budgeting, a number of other topics and serials that we hope you'll find interesting and uplifting as uh, we all journey towards better mental wellness. Again, my name is Bob McTaggart, and thank you for joining us for the first episode of Red Friday Talks. Goodbye for now.